glad you're here tonight. If you've been uh, here for the last several weeks, we've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes. That study is finished, and we're going to turn our attention now to the book of Philemon. So I'm going to go ahead and give you a chance to, to find that, because probably you're, if you know that song, you're singing it to yourself right now, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke. Well, Philemon is right between Titus and Hebrews. It's really short, so it's easy to pass over. But that's where it is. And as we're thinking about schedule, just a reminder that next week we will not meet here for pastor's class. Actually, we won't meet here on Wednesday at all. We're going to have a service in the worship center on Tuesday night at 6.30. We'll sing together, pray together. Pastor Clint is going to preach. And then we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together uh, on Tuesday night, as we do every week. There will be dinner at 5, uh, like there normally is. So, looking forward to that. And then we'll pick back up in Philemon in, uh, in a couple more weeks. But we've divided this, this short book into three studies. And so tonight we're going to look at the first seven verses. And Philemon is an interesting book. It's a unique book. I mean, how many sermons have you heard on the book of Philemon? Right? Not many. Um... It's the shortest of Paul's letters. Uh, in fact, really, in, in the Bible, only 2nd and 3rd John are shorter. So it's one of the shortest books in the Bible. It's also unique uh, because of its genre. It's, it's a letter. Paul wrote a lot of letters. But normally when he wrote letters, he wrote letters to a church, right? So he says, you know, this is Paul to the church in Ephesus, or the church in Colossae. But this is a personal letter that Paul wrote to the man Philemon. And so we have some insight into what's going on there. Um, but really, you know, he'll, he'll refer to the church, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But the majority of the letter, from verse 4 basically to the end, uh, every time we see the word you, it's a, it's a singular you. So Paul is talking directly to Philemon, and we just have the benefit of hearing the conversation. It's also unique because we don't have a whole lot of background. We don't know what's going on. If you've ever been, you know, flipping through the channels, and you come into a movie, and it's like halfway over, and you start watching it, and you're trying to, like, figure out what's going on, but you don't really understand, there's a little bit of that sense when we get to the book of Philemon. There's, there's some issues that have taken place, uh, and scholars have done a lot of work, and we have a pretty good idea of what's happening, but in terms of the exact details of this book, we're, we're just a little in the dark. But God has providentially made it so that this short book, this unique book, is part of the canon of Scripture that we have. So it's equally inspired. I think sometimes when we think about the Bible, it's easy for us to think about it like, you know, well, like Romans and like Ephesians are up here and the Gospels. And then we have these other like lesser books, right? But our view of inspiration and our view of Scripture means every book is equally inspired. It's equally authoritative. It's equally helpful. And so it's on us to figure out, okay, well, why? Why? Of all the letters that Paul wrote. Because we, I think we can assume that this wasn't the only personal letter that Paul wrote during his ministry, Right? He was a pretty prolific writer. So why is it this letter that is preserved? Why is this letter in Scripture? There's no great theological teaching in this letter. Instead, what Paul does is he takes 
the foundation theologically and provides us a glimpse to see, okay, this is how you actually live out this theology that I've talked about in some of my other letters. It's the power of an illustration. Have you ever been, you know, you're listening to somebody speak or maybe you're listening to somebody teach and they give an illustration that really just crystallizes what they're trying to say, right? You're like, oh, okay, I get it now. And what we have here is this real-life illustration that Paul's going to use, and we have some insight into uh, in this book of Philemon. And really, if we were just going to boil it down, this book is about forgiveness. And so we'll talk more about that. But really, throughout Scripture, God is described as a forgiving God. I don't think that's new to any of us here, right? But even going all the way back, when God is making himself known to Moses, this is how he describes himself in Exodus chapter 34. He says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. So that's God describing himself to Moses. And you get all the way near the end of Scripture, 1 John 1, 9, a verse that we love to quote, that we use in our times of confession here, even on Sundays, that if we confess our sins, that He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. That's the hope that we have. And praise God for that, right? Because every day we need God's forgiveness, because every day we're messing up. And as Christians... As we see this picture of who God is as a forgiving God, we are meant to model that behavior. Maybe you could say there's, there's no other time where we are more like our Father than when we are forgiving. You ever noticed how children can, can take after their parents, right? And so you'll say, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Uh, my daughter Sloan, she just turned three years old. Are you guys familiar with the term uh, hangry? You know what hangry means? It means like when you're hungry, you get really angry. So I confess, if this is, this is a comfortable environment, right? We all love each other. I am prone to being hangry. My wife knows that. We pack snacks when we go places. I just don't like being hungry. And I've passed that on to my children, it seems like. So Sloan gets very hangry. If she's ever in a really bad mood, give her a Snickers. She's just like the commercial, right? You're not yourself. So we're meant to imitate our father. Uh, Proverbs 19.11 says it this way. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Man, what a great verse to just think about for a minute, right? Because every day, people do something serious or not so serious, that either gets on our nerves or is something that really wrongs us. What a great memory verse. Hey, if you want a, if you want a memory verse, you're like, hey, I'd like to memorize some scripture. Where can I start? Proverbs 19.11 would be a good one. Maybe it would be a good one to put like on your dashboard, right? It is his glory to overlook an offense. God, I, f- I forgive that person that just cut me off. It's my glory to overlook an offense. Because the the truth is that forgiven people, like you and me, forgive people. People that have received grace, extend grace. That's the way it's meant to be. It's not like, you know, I, I I just can't do that. Well, 
I'm sorry, but you know, in the Bible, there's just not a, a picture of that. So if you have been forgiven, then you will be a forgiving person. Remember what Jesus said. The Lord's Prayer. The disciples said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And so one of the things that he said in that prayer is, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. As we also. So don't miss that. So what that means is, do you really want to be forgiven in the same way that you've forgiven others? Because that's what Jesus says here. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven. So if your version of forgiveness is, yeah, I forgive you, but I'm not ever going to let you forget about it, right? <laughs> I don't think that's what Jesus has in mind. Okay, so let's give a little background to this book uh, specifically. There's three main characters. There's several people mentioned in this book. Paul always, in his letters, he'll mention the people traveling with him. He'll mention people in the city that he's writing to. But there's three main characters here. The first character is Onesimus. And Onesimus is, it seems to be, a runaway slave who needs forgiveness. So Onesimus. And we've got to talk just a little bit about uh, slavery in this context. This has come up a little bit as we've done, as we've gone through other books of the Bible uh, here on a Wednesday night. Um, but we see here, in the Roman world, there are estimates that at this time in the Roman world, as many as one-third of the population were considered slaves. We might call them uh, indentured servants. So this was not... Uh, based on race or gender or any other thing, it was an, an economic thing. So it doesn't really give us a whole lot of insight into the background of Onesimus, that he was a slave, but that's what he was. And I think it tells us something that Paul, Paul this missionary, this church planter, this highly educated Roman citizen, is taking up the cause of this runaway slave. I think that's, that's an important piece, too. What we know about Onesimus is that he was converted under Paul while Paul was in prison. We learn this uh, in verse 10. And think about this. So Paul's in prison, most likely in Rome, and this runaway slave somehow meets him. And it's just one of those amazing things that you look and you're like, well, that's not a coincidence. But somehow, God ordained it that Onesimus would cross paths with Paul, even while Paul was in prison. I don't know how this happened. And under the ministry of Paul would become a Christian. And his life was changed forever. Because then Paul will go on to say, hey, listen, Onesimus is helping me now. He's, he's a great help to me. And we see later in the book that Onesimus had done something wrong to Philemon. So Philemon was the master there. Maybe he had stolen something from him. At the very least, he had, he had run away. He was kind of AWOL, you could say. And so Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon in hopes that Philemon will forgive him and receive him not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. So that's our first character, Onesimus. Our second character is Philemon. 
the one the book is named after. And so this is a man who had the opportunity to extend forgiveness. I think it's pretty uh, clear that he was a wealthy member of the church there in uh, Colossae. Paul talks about how he, he had been generous, how he had helped uh, believers. Paul says, and we'll see in just a minute in verse 2, that there was a church that met in his house. So he had a house large enough that, that a church was meeting there. And, interestingly, uh, Paul also implies, uh, verse 19, uh, that Philemon was also converted under the ministry of Paul. So here's Paul writing, and he says, Yes, Onesimus became a believer under my ministry. Oh, and, and you also became a believer under my ministry. And then the third character is Paul. So Paul is serving as the mediator here, encouraging Philemon to extend forgiveness. So those are our three characters, Onesimus, Philemon, and Paul. So I said Paul was probably writing this from Rome. He was in prison there during his first imprisonment. That's the imprisonment that's talked about right at the end of the book of Acts. If you get there, you know, he makes that long journey. They have the shipwreck, all that stuff. They make it to Rome. That's what uh, they're talking about here. And um, we learn from looking at Ephesians chapter 6 and Colossians that it seemed like Paul had written to the church in Ephesus. He'd written to the church in Colossae. He'd finished those two letters, and it was time to send them back to the church. A guy by the name of Tychicus was going to send those letters back, and he thought, you know what, this is a good opportunity for me to send Onesimus back for him to reconcile with Philemon, and he also included a personal note to Philemon. So it seemed like those three letters, Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, were all written at a similar time and delivered uh, at the same time. Okay, so let's get into the book. I want us to read uh, the first seven verses. That's what we're going to look at tonight. And then we're just going to go back through verse by verse and just kind of talk about what we see here and some of the practical implications of what, what Paul is getting at. So it says, verse 1, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. All right, let's go back to verse 1. This greeting, it's a pretty typical greeting for Paul in some ways. He says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. You realize Philemon is the only book that Paul begins by calling himself a prisoner. I think that should tell us something, because Paul was in prison writing several of his books. But he would normally say something like Paul a servant or Paul an apostle. But here he calls himself a prisoner. And notice, though, that he is a prisoner for Christ Jesus. And I think this is where our first point comes from. Uh, I want us to see, as we think about verse 1, and not just skip past this. A lot of times when we're reading our Bibles, we tend to skip past some of these things. But if we really take time to just think about it for a minute, it's what we mean when we say the word meditate. When 
we meditate on Scripture, that's not some weird mystical thing. It just means, hey, let's pause. Let's look at it. Let's think about it. Let's let it roll around in our minds for a few minutes. I think we see the sovereignty of God because what Paul is saying here is, hey, I'm not a prisoner of Caesar's. Because technically, that was the case, right? He was imprisoned by Rome in the city of Rome for preaching the gospel. But he's saying, you know what? I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I'm in prison because of the fact that I've been preaching Christ, but I'm also in prison at the direction of Christ. What do I mean by that? I mean, Christ, it was Christ's will that he would be in prison at that time. Paul is acknowledging the sovereignty of God. For Paul, you know, a lot of times we'll say, well, I just want to be in the center of God's will. Well, for, for Paul, at this time in his life, the center of God's will was prison. It's something that we don't think about. You know, Paul wasn't just being, being a glib in Philippians when he says, you know, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. No, this is a man who could write that from prison and say, hey, I, whether, I'm, whether I'm hungry, whether I'm full, whether I'm, I'm naked, whether I'm clothed, I've learned to be content. I think it's a good lesson for us to remember that wherever you are today, if you're, if you're sick, if you're well, if, if you're rich, if, if you're poor, it's because right now, God has ordained it to be that way. We go to bed at night, we rest on the sovereignty of God. That's what upholds us. That's what keeps us going. And for Paul, he could say, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He gets to verse 2. He says, I'm writing to Philemon and to Aphia, our sister. A lot of people will say that she was most likely Philemon's wife. And Archippus, our fellow soldier, a lot of people will say that that is probably their son. And then he says, and the church in your house. And I want us to see here, point number two, the responsibility of the church. So what do I mean by that? I've been saying this is a private letter written from Paul to Philemon. But the the church is mentioned too. And I think it's good for us to remember that the church is a community. It's a family that we belong to together, that this is where our our natural household and our spiritual households intersect. For us, and I don't know if it's it's just our age or uh, our culture, but we like individualism, right? We like being able to be our own people and do our own thing and not have anybody tell us what to do. We like that. And, but yet in the Bible, Paul just kind of assumes that that the Christian life is one that's lived out together. That, that these Christians are living in community. Believing in Christ means belonging to a family. It doesn't just mean that your future is secure. It means that you now have a, have a family to watch out for. In Christ, we belong to each other. This is really the answer to Esau's question. Remember Esau way back in the beginning? He said, am I my brother's keeper? Well, and that's where the church comes in and says, yes, you are. You're, you're not supposed to do this by yourself. One practical way that this works itself out, um, you know, as, as I on Sunday, I get to look out at the church, right? I get to see 
I get to see you all, which is sometimes good and sometimes not so good. Um, but, but, you know, we're creatures of habit, and we all have our, our seats, or at least our sections that we sit in. And so, sometimes I can, I can see, well, I haven't, I haven't seen this person in a while. And I'm sure you're the same way, right? As you're sitting in your sections, you could look around you and say, you know, I, I noticed that, that this family that sits over here, I haven't seen them for a few weeks. Why don't you, why don't you find out how to get in touch with them? Reach out to them on, on Facebook. Say, hey, I, I haven't seen you in church. Is everything okay? I, I've missed seeing you. That's just one practical way that we look out for each other. Verse 3, Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is in every letter that Paul writes. But don't miss it, because I, I think it's important that Paul wanted to make sure that every letter that he wrote was marked by this introduction. Grace. What's he mean by grace? Well, grace is at the center of the gospel. Right? We are saved by grace and only by grace. We're saved by grace. But Paul wanted his letters to be means of grace in the lives of people. He was writing to encourage, to admonish, to rebuke sometimes. But his whole point was, hey, it, here, here are some things that, that will help you in your walk with Christ. I want this letter to be a means of grace. So we see that grace is at the center of the gospel, but peace is really the result of the gospel. When we're saved, God has given us peace, not just vertically, but also horizontally. So we have peace with God and peace with each other. Think about, think about just, a, just a few times throughout Scripture. So we're coming up on the Christmas season. A lot of times we'll maybe read the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. You could even watch Charlie Brown and hear this part of the Christmas story. The angels, when they're announcing the birth, what do they say? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. Jesus, right before he goes to the cross, and John, this is a verse that we love to quote at funerals, says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Then Paul picks that up in Ephesians and he, he tells the church there, he said, he himself, meaning Jesus, he himself is our peace. Not just Jesus gives us peace. No, he's saying Jesus is our peace. He's the means by which we have peace with God and peace with each other. So grace and peace. And then look how he, he talks about uh, God here. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He links those two together. We see the deity of Christ there. So even in this standard greeting, there's so much that we can learn. There's so much that we can talk about. But let's continue. And let's look at verse 4. I want us to see the thankfulness of God's people. Paul says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. You know, I think it's, it's not only good for us to thank God uh, for people. But I think we should tell people why we're thankful for them. You know, I, it means one thing to say, I'm thankful for you. But it means another thing to say, I'm thankful for you because of this. This is why I'm thankful. We should pray specifically for people. We should tell people what we're praying for them. And Paul's going to do that here in just a minute. 
you know, as you think about this, and if you think about the letters of Paul, there are so many times that he'll write and tell the people that he's writing to that, that he's praying for them. And so I don't want you to turn to all these uh, places. We're going to have them on the screen. But just, I just want us to take a quick glance at some of the ways that Paul talks about the way that he prays. Romans chapter 1, he tells the church there, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. So he's writing to the church there in Rome, saying, I thank God for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. If you know much about the church in Corinth, they had a whole lot of issues. They were a messed up church. And Paul could still write to them and tell them how thankful he was uh, for them. Ephesians chapter 1, this great prayer that Paul prays. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Philippians chapter 1. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Colossians chapter 1. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And then lastly, first. Thessalonians chapter 1. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. You know, if this is accurate, if Paul prays for as many people as he says he prays for, we get the picture of a man who spent a whole lot of time praying for people. And I think, man, what, what a convicting thing, right? That, that Paul, this this giant of the faith was spending so much time praying for these people that were under his care. So maybe you have a Sunday school class. Maybe you have a family. And these are people that are under your care. Let's follow Paul's example here. Let's, let's pray for these people. Let's pray specifically. Let's pray thankfully. And let's tell them that we're praying for them. Let's look at verse 5. Let's see here the love that God creates. He says, I, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Paul has heard about this love. Love, uh, one commentator said, is the surest sign that Christ is being formed in his people. Do you have love? the surest sign that Christ is being formed in his people. If you don't have love for Christ, or you don't have love for his people, okay, because again, those two things are going to go together. It's like, man, you know, I, I really love the Lord, I just can't stand the church. <laughs> or it's like, I, I love, love the church, it's just, I'm just not sure, sir, about this God guy. No, those things are going to go together. If you don't have love for the Lord, and you don't have love for God's people, you really need to ask yourself if you're a Christian. Love is, is assumed here, and Paul is writing, hey, I've, I've heard about your love. Now remember, he's not talking about a church. So you think about the impact that a church could have, and even a, a small church, like would have been around during this time, he's writing to one man. So here he is all the way in Rome, writing all the way, like a thousand miles away, to the city there of Colossae where Philemon was. 
And he's saying, you know what? I've heard about your love. And how, how did he know that? I mean, Philemon was, was active. I've heard about your love and of your faith. You could, you could maybe translate that loyalty or faithfulness. So your love and your loyalty that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And so I think even there, Philemon has a reputation for not discriminating. Say, man, you have this great, tremendous love and loyalty for all the believers. The love that God creates. Paul's going to continue here. This is all really one thought. But verse 6 we see the fellowship that God sustains. Now, if you have, uh, I'm reading from the ESV, if you have different versions, this verse is going to read differently in every version. As you know, I'm studying for this lesson. Everybody says, yeah, verse 6, it's the most difficult verse in the book. I'm like, great, I'm glad I get to teach it tonight. So look, if you have any questions... Email Mike Powers or Clint Presley. They'll be happy to answer it for you. So what it says here is in verse 6, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Now be careful here, because when if we were to talk about sharing our faith, I think we would assume, naturally and for good reason, that we're talking about what? Like evangelism, right? He said, man, I shared my faith today. You're talking about evangelism. The, the word here that the ESV translates as sharing is this word koinonia. It's this word that other places is translated uh, fellowship or partnership. It, it's this idea uh, of, of someone participating in sharing in the realities of the gospel that are made possible through Christ. So I want us to, to show a couple of examples of how Paul uses this word, because when Paul uses this word, he's not talking about like the fellowship hall, right? That's how we normally think about fellowship. Hey, let's fellowship together. Let's eat some chicken, you know? Let's watch some football. Uh, when Paul uses the word koinonia, he uses it in a deeply theological way. So let's look at a couple examples. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The fellowship of His Son. That means you know, we're part of the, the family of faith. Okay, let's look at another example. Philippians chapter 1. So Paul's writing to the church here, and he says, uh, we'll start in verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That's that word koinonia too. The church at Philippi had supported Paul monetarily, and so he's writing, thanking them for their fellowship in, their partnership in the, the sharing of the gospel. And what Paul's saying to them is, hey, as I'm sharing the gospel because of your support, 
you are as much a part of this gospel sharing as, as I am. We're, we're partners in this. Uh, stay in the book of Philippians and turn over to chapter 3. And this great passage uh, that you're probably familiar with, in chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Your Bible might say, and the fellowship of his sufferings. That's that same word, same idea. That I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and this koinonia, this partnership in, this fellowship in his sufferings. Last one, and let me show you how this works um, in reverse. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Paul says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? So here he's using a ne negative example. Using that same word, hey, don't... Righteousness and lawlessness aren't, aren't meant to, to be in fellowship, aren't meant to be in partnership, so don't be unequally yoked. We see here that, that the faith that Christians share, it produces th this fellowship. And the fellowship that Christians share produces action. That's what he says here. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective. It, it may actually take, take foot in the world. So what, what I'm telling you and what you believe and what all God has done for you actually plays itself out in a certain way in the world. And he's going to get into that. We're not going to see it tonight. But Paul is, is setting Philemon up in this. He's getting ready to ask him to do something, but he's kind of setting the, the groundwork here. Let's look, uh, lastly, at verse 7. And let's see the generosity that God enables. Paul says, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Now, this is kind of a transition verse. So all that Paul has, has said up to this point, and then what's going to come after it is where Paul's going to start getting direct and going to say, okay, here's what I need you to do. You need to accept Onesimus back, not as a slave, but as a brother. You need to forgive him. If he's done anything, if he owes you anything, hey, charge it to my account. That's what, that's what Paul is going to say. So he's getting ready to ask him to do a lot of things. Now, you think about how big of a request that was. For a man like Philemon, we said he was, he was wealthy, right? He has this big old house that the church is meeting in. And just the, the social status, the social standing of a guy like that, for him to accept this runaway slave back into his house, into his family, not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ, Paul, Paul even says, hey, look, when he comes back, I want you to welcome him the same way that you would welcome me if, if I were to come to your house. So what a huge request that was. And so this verse, verse 7, is sort of the, the hinge where he goes from, hey, this is what I'm thankful for. Man, your love, the, the tales of your love have gone out throughout the world. I know you have this great love, this great faith for all the saints. And he says, Paul says, I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother. I don't think this means 
necessarily that Philemon has helped Paul specifically. I think it means that Paul is taking joy. Paul is getting joy in hearing about the ministry of Philemon. He's saying, it brings me so much joy to hear all that you're doing, to hear all, that you, all the work that you're doing, all the support that you give to the saints there. <coughs> I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. This, is, this word, hearts, it's what, it's what we say, you know, you're, you're breaking my heart. Right? It, it's this deep, the, the word that really means like bowels. But the hearts of the saints have been refreshed. It's interesting, uh, Paul really liked using this word in this book. He uses it eight times in, in all of his writings. Three of those times are in this short little book. So he's going to come back to this word, uh, hearts. But what Paul is saying here is one of the ways that Philemon demonstrates the reality of his faith is in his willingness to help and support other believers. It's one of the ways that, that we do the same thing. We would never say, and we, we don't believe, certainly, that the things that we do give us salvation. We covered that at the beginning. Grace to you, we're saved by grace. But there are some practical outworkings, right? If this, then this. Like, and so we started by talking about forgiveness. If you've been forgiven, then, then you're going to forgive. If you've received all of this in Christ, then, then you're going to be, be quick to to pass that along, you're going to be a generous person, knowing how richly Christ has blessed you. Now, I said at the beginning that we've, we've kind of, in this book, we've jumped into the middle of a story. And so we're, we're trying to piece together what's happening. And there's some really cool things that come at the end of this book. But I can't steal the, the thunder of the other people that are teaching, unfortunately. I told the pastor that I was um, going to take some of his thunder. But man, there's some really cool stuff as we, because we don't have like a follow-up. We don't have like, and so Philemon accepted Onesimus and they lived happily ever after. We, we don't have that. But there are some really cool things uh, that we can learn through the rest of this book. But as we think about just these first seven verses, I think we're left uh, with two questions that I want us to, to just think about for a minute before we close tonight. We're going to have a short business meeting. When was the last time that you asked for someone's forgiveness? When was the last time that you asked for someone's forgiveness? And then, when was the last time that you forgave someone who wronged you? We go back to thinking about our three characters. Onesimus, he's the man who needed forgiveness. Philemon was the one who had the opportunity to extend forgiveness. And so then maybe we can add a third question to that and think about Paul. Paul was serving as the person encouraging forgiveness. You know, the Bible says that uh, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers. Paul is here being this peacemaker, being this mediator, being this intermediary where he's looking at a situation, seeing what's wrong, and he could have just said, ah, they'll figure it out, right? Instead, he's stepping in and he's encouraging Philemon to extend forgiveness to Onesimus. 
I think all of us here should find ourselves in one of those three places tonight. And I hope this encourages you, and as we continue, I hope you get uh, a lot out of this study. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to go into a short business meeting. Father, we are so grateful for the grace that you have lavished on us through Christ. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for the way that you have forgiven us and that you do forgive us each and every day, each and every hour. We're so grateful for that, God. We feel in our hearts, just like the song says, that we're, we're prone to wander. We acknowledge that, God, and so we plead for your grace and your mercy to hold us close. By your grace, allow us to live for you, to honor you. And thank you for your word, God. You said that the entrance of your word brings light, and so I pray that you would allow us to take your word in and to live it out each and every day, that we would be good examples of what it means to be followers of Christ. And that's only possible by your grace. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.